<laughs> nice. He's, just, he's waiting for it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it. We can take as long as we need I, to. I did. <laughs> I watched uh, when you guys were podcasting. I forget which one it was, but you were talking about, you know, how to prepare for my return. <laughs> it was a lot of have your best outfit. That's what, that's what Mark said, I think. Yeah. Um, but then I think you you took that as I should have my best outfit. And so I, black shirt, <laughs> my standard black shirt hey. and shorts today. Well, Johnny Cash would be proud. Would he? Yeah, he might. Of course, the man in black. <clears throat> Are you healthy? Is everyone healthy? I think so. <laughs> we didn't podcast last week because I picked up whatever Rachel had or some version of it. And then you had like most sicknesses. <laughs> yeah. We within, were down bad for a week. Yeah. You guys were. I came back uh, this last Sunday and everybody said that they were feeling it. You said you were feeling yeah. it. Come on. And then Jared. And, yeah. Um, everybody I talked to in the church had the same thing, like, yeah, the sore throat's coming on. And I'm like, okay, all of Northeast Ohio <laughs> has yeah. whatever this mysterious, mysterious illness is that we have had because we tested negative for everything and then yeah. came back this past Sunday and, and you maybe it's Brown's fever. Maybe. Whoa. Yeah. Well, well, I, like I have that, that now. You I, have that. I now. watched the okay. Steelers game and now I have that and <laughs> I'm sick, very and tired <laughs> and done. Rachel asked me yesterday and I don't know why she asks me these things. She says, <laughs> she says, are the Browns doing well this year? <laughs> And I, uh, well, I laughed yeah. and said, well, I don't know that. And she says, I'm yeah. seeing a lot of jerseys. We were in line. Know your audience. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. How long have you been married? I don't know. She she thought maybe. Are you new here? Yeah. I don't know what. Don't uh, know. Yeah. I don't know why she asked me. Well, we were in line uh, waiting to pick Henry up uh, Monday. I think Monday's off. And so. We pick him up from school and he's a car rider and we saw it was picture day. And so she was seeing all these kids and I believe it's the second grade that's out on the, uh, you know, the playground because Henry's not out there. And, but all these kids were wearing like Brown's jerseys and she's like, it's picture day. Like why would their parents let them wear Brown's jerseys? I said, well, maybe not for the second graders. And then she just kind of in passing was like, oh, the Brown's doing well this year. And I realized in that moment, that we have run out of things to talk yeah, about. Trying to make small talk in the, in the carpool lane. I got to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And we had spent the majority of the day together. And honestly, the conversation wasn't riveting the whole day. We've yeah. just run out of things to talk about. What really made you think? Well, we've been together yeah. for about, well, we've been together for nearly 20 years now. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we're just good in the silence. 20 years is a long time to be married. <laughs> well, we haven't been married for 20 years. We've oh, been yeah. married for four, 14. It's a long time to be together. 14. Yeah, 20 is a long time. Yeah. So, I don't know. We're talking about it. Sounds like Seinfeld again there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was a Seinfeld reference for uh, <laughs> yeah. three years is a long time to be married. It is a long time to be married. <laughs> um, yeah. So, are they, I would like to ask you that question on Rachel's behalf, knowing that she doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Steelers game we just watched, there's an open wound on me right now where I'm like, they're just so bad, so terrible. So they, they lost. lost against the Steelers. Yeah, they looked okay. pretty good against the Bengals, and then they looked terrible, and then we lost our Did they look good against the Bengals, or did they win? Oh, they won. They won. They won well. And they won, oh, they, they won, won well. Hand. They looked okay. good. Yeah. Okay. And the Bengals were in the Super Bowl last year, weren't they? Uh, Not last year. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay. 
But then I watch this and I'm like, it's we're we're just back to our normal. Uh, and like one of our best players here. got hurt for basically probably the whole season. Who is that? Yeah, no, his, our best career, his career is probably over. Oh, his Nick, career's over. Nick Chubb. Oh, no. Um, Nick it, Chubb had a... His knee bent the way it shouldn't bend. And oh, it's the same knee that in college, um, in college, he this knee blew up as well. And it had to be reconstructed, basically. Um, yeah, and somehow he's had a, a lengthy NFL career, even with that injury coming in. Um, he fell down in the draft because of that injury. Um, and then it just got blown up again. Mm. Worse than that college injury. And he's 27 going on 28. And that sounds very young, but in the NFL, especially at the running back position, that is an old man. Well, he's looking at at least a year of recovery. Yeah. Like he's not even, yeah. wouldn't even be able until to play he, until again until at least for another year. Yeah. And then he'd be almost yeah. 30. It's at least 50% chance he retires, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, that was sad to see, but then. <laughs> so our first question today is, is the NFL too uh, violent? Yeah. Yeah. Let's dive yeah. in. That's my um, question this week. I did watch that and I was like, there's no way my son's ever playing this. <laughs> yeah. You start to understand. Yeah. yeah. I was never allowed to play football. I could do any sport I wanted except football. Did uh, you have yeah. opportunity to play football? At the oh, school yeah. You went In to? fact, I graduated with 38 kids and football was like a thing. So, yeah. Like, I think there was like four boys in my whole grade that didn't play. Mm-hmm. Really? I was one of them. Yeah. Wow. Did the yeah. your school have football? Yeah. What okay. Do you mean? Yeah, they played okay. for the school. Okay. Yeah. Well, you said oh, your yeah. class was only thirty-eight. So no, we were a very schools. small school, but we had our own football, football team. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. And you just weren't allowed because of the uh, potential. Oh yeah. Danger. Yeah, they're worried about my knee. Yeah. Don't want to blow it out. Did you have a bad knee prior, or did no. they just figured you might? It was just a bad joke. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know if uh, I've never seen or paid attention to your knees. I don't know what you got going on. <laughs> I've got Down the knees there. of a thirty-nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're walking great. I know 39 I mean, might sound young, but not in ministry. <laughs> he, rides a, he rides his bike here sometimes. 39's very old in ministry. Cycling is actually yeah. very easy on your knees. This is what I hear. It's extremely. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's one better. of the easiest things you can exercise you can do on your knees. So you Bob, got good knees. Bob was in his office this morning. I went in his office, and you weren't here yet. <clears throat> and we were talking, and he said something like, "Is Mark here?" And I said, "I haven't seen him. I didn't see his car." I said, "He might have rode his bike." Uh, here and Bob went no no and he had just decided that you did not ride your bike <laughs> and I don't know why okay <laughs> I was like well I think it might be possible <laughs> right. I, like, I don't know if he looked at the weather and thought well, this is Mark's riding weather do you will you only ride because uh, you've ridden to work we only ride if the weather you know is going to be good because yeah. riding in the rain oh, yeah. is going to be horrible I would imagine yeah no I don't ride in the rain and uncomfortable yeah. have you ever ridden in the rain uh, I mean, I've I've ridden where, yeah, rain was involved involuntarily, but okay, yeah, my my tires aren't don't do super well in rain. They have uh, do bikes have specific rain tires? Uh, well, there's all kinds of tires from off roading to I have road tires that are made for basically pavement and dry conditions. Okay, they're skinny with no tread, so they they don't do well with adversity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to book it out of here a couple of weeks ago when that. Well, that was that like a storm, storm was coming. Yeah, yeah, I had to get out of here. Yeah, yeah, you got you got your yeah, gear on right. quick, and you're like, "All right, see you I later." Just looks at the radar. <laughs> I need to go. Which, yeah, basically, when I drove, because that was a, I it was a Wednesday night, so I had youth group that night, and um, that's when the I ninety had flooded. Oh yeah, that was real bad. So somehow I made it home. I went through some massive puddles where yeah. I was basically a boat. <laughs> and then I get home and looked on social media, and there was literally just traffic backed up all the way on I-90 West yeah. going home, which I decided to take Detroit all the way home, luckily. <laughs> and they were just stuck there. 
Like yeah. half the yeah, cars were halfway <laughs> covered in water a couple mm. weeks ago. It was wild. Mm. I'm glad you rode your bike home in time. I made it. Yeah. yeah. yeah you had terrible. to book it. Yeah. Well, we're back. Full yeah. full strength. Nice. The the three season two. Season two. This is yeah. <laughs> We what tried to start season two last time. I, I don't saw. think it worked. Did it we do it? It didn't take. No. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> no, this is season three. <laughs> well, if we're going to season two it, I think we need. <laughs> season two is one episode. How would you guys feel about getting rid of the, the table? <laughs> Still sitting in the same places. <laughs> just yeah. in these chairs. Just, just no table. <laughs> cross-legged hold these mics Well, no. Like Bob and I were talking about the, the mezzanine, and there's uh, furniture up in the mezzanine. Oh, well, that, that's <laughs> some helpful information. Well, yeah. So <laughs> We're being presented with this the first time. Yeah. <laughs> this was not discussed prior. Just because the audience was wondering. Well, I'm just thinking of it right now. <laughs> I am just... I was... When you walked in, and I was staring... Uh, that's what I was thinking about was, you know, just maybe a change of uh, scenery. We've got the, the furniture up there is just sitting there. Yeah. Conan O'Brien did that. Remember he, yes, he, he reformatted and did more smaller, intimate interviews. Yeah. And he got rid of his desk and it was just chairs and yeah. Yeah. But that was very uncomfortable. You didn't like it? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Okay. Well, it could have just been, I was just so used to seeing Conan behind a desk and then yeah. it's like, this isn't. What's going on? What about for you personally? How well, do you he think? never interviewed me personally. Okay. I didn't make it to the show, but... Um, <laughs> Let's say you had your own show. <laughs> I was riding your bike. <laughs> Let me just throw out a... F- I would actually... If it was my show, uh, we'd each have our own table. Okay. So <laughs> we'd more tables. So you would like more separation <laughs> I need, from us. I don't think one is enough. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so let's go to Facebook Marketplace and There's look for some high school we're, tables. We're all in separate rooms. We have our own table. Would you like video to, street, It's basically a Zoom call is what I'm picturing. We yeah. could do cubicles. From our desks. We just don't leave our desks. It's just a Zoom call. For Eventually, you're not going to leave the house. This is somehow Mark works from home now. So do you think that, that would, you would be uncomfortable in a, on some type of more comfortable chair? I, man, on the spot here. No, oh, I know. I'm, op- I'm open to whatever. I'll do whatever. I I <laughs> what about you? Do you do you hate comfort? <laughs> no, I, I love comfort. I'm down for couches. I just when you ask the question like, hey, what about no table? All I pictured was this gone and us three yeah. sitting on the floor. Yeah, you have to room. hold this. <laughs> yeah, just, holding this. You have to navigate it the whole time, and then you're uh, messing with your Bible. But yes, yeah, I'm down for a full rebrand. Okay. Down to the name. Oh, boy. <laughs> the mezzanine. The mezzanine. <laughs> Where no conversations take place. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll, yeah, we won't do that. Uh, but, but we might. Uh, <laughs> the mez, for sure. The, whoa, now hang on. Hey. The, the H doesn't really, atrium, that, that, doesn't, no. that doesn't work. The mez, though. Boy, I like that. There you go. Yeah. Well. Yeah, let's change it up. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll, we'll check our Maybe schedules. We can... Season four. <laughs> Are we on season four already? We, yeah, we just yeah we just transitioned. Okay. This conversation was season three, I yeah, think. I think yeah. season three just wrapped. And then the reboot will be season four. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think this is episode 66. Let me go ahead and welcome people. Welcome to uh, the atrium. Not the Mez. Welcome to the Atrium. This is a Hope Christian Church podcast. My name is Neil. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Christian Church. You are. And I am Chad. I'm the student pastor here at Hope. And you are. I am Mark. I'm the adult pastor. And it's good to be back. Episode 66. I realized uh, 
what's well, been a couple of months since, since we've done this together, I think. Yeah. Uh, but Jared named the last one that we did Return of the Head Guy. And I thought, you I, really love Star Wars. Did you come up with that? That was my name, yeah. Like, okay. I'm glad you're taking credit for that. Because um, it was great, Jared fired. Oh, I was going to let him go. <laughs> You're the head. Well, that was your dumb idea. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I was wondering if uh, I didn't know if people would get it because it's not the perfect pun. No, I got it, but I think I, I don't know, know if everyone will. No, probably not. I, I tested it on Brandy, and she got it, but she had to think about it. Okay, well, that's okay to think about stuff a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I got I mean, it right away, and it it was the return good. of the head guy. As long it, as some people are getting it right yeah. away, that's all I want. I enjoyed it. I was like, ah, I yeah. see it. No gay, Jared. <laughs> but I was giving Jared credit for that because he's such a Star Wars fan. Yeah. And you are as well. But yeah. uh, would you say that he's a larger fan than you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. For too. sure. For sure. I think, yeah. And more, maybe than all of us. He, he Probably, yeah. Yeah. He's the nerd. He knows, yeah. he knows a lot about it. But yeah, so this is episode, I believe, 66. And we are three weeks in uh, to Suffer Well last... Um, Last podcast we did was after the first sermon of the Suffer Well, Suffer well series, and that sermon was called The Source, and then everybody got sick in week two, so we didn't do a podcast, but in week two, we talked about that first step of suffering well, and these lists and these acrostics that I have, I've been trying to make sure that people are aware, like, these aren't comprehensive things, you know, there's certainly other ways that you can train for godliness other than, you know, taking it seriously, but I'm just trying to keep it... Um, very simple, very easy to remember. So step one of suffering well is to be prepared. Um, we need to prepare. We saw Christ was, you know, certainly prepared to suffer um, and was all about his his father's business. And then this past week, and the way that we prepare is we train for godliness. And we looked at five things that we can do to, to train for godliness. Uh, and those things were, you know, take the training seriously. If you don't take it it's seriously like anything, you're not going to get it done. Repetition is required if you want to do anything well. Um also, uh, armoring up, which is, you know, putting on that whole armor of God and from Paul's words in Ephesians chapter six, being in the word and in prayer on a regular basis, obviously training for godliness and then never isolate. Uh, when we suffer, sometimes we have this tendency to want to put on the brave face and be tough. And I use this analogy of uh, a cat and how when cats get hurt, they kind of go off and suffer silently. And that's not what we're to do. Uh, we are to uh, make sure that we're in community with one another as we go through these trials and difficult times, not only so that we can grow, but that we can grow and sharpen those around us. And then this past week, we moved on to step two of suffering. Well, kind of what do we do once the suffering starts? And I offered that uh, one of the things we could do is is be at peace. And that's a very tricky one because peace is something that's given to us, not something that we can earn or go out and get. But there are certainly things that we can do to align ourselves with God's Word and the Holy Spirit to put ourselves in, and I'm air quoting, put ourselves, if you will, in a position to receive that without... Um, having any type of uh, quenching of the Spirit taking place through our own sin. And so we looked at this uh, idea of, of being at peace, and I use the um, the word rest as kind of that um, acrostic, um, and it kind of wound up um, where each step lent itself to having that acrostic, but step one being, you know, remember that God is in control. It's very easy when suffering comes in to feel like things are spiraling out of control. Particularly if suffering and suffering tends to come in waves, like you know, you guys, Chad, you and um, Ledger and Liz were all sick all at the same time, 
It's not just one, and that makes it difficult. And so suffering, you know, a lot of times can come in waves for people, you know, things that Rachel and I have experienced, and I know you guys have experienced waves of it as well. Um, so what do we do when that comes in is we don't go, oh, no, you know, things life is just out of control. Remember that God's in control, and that should hopefully um, give us that opportunity to to receive the peace that the Spirit has for us. If step two was express sorrow, and then we spent the rest of our time with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how Jesus expressed sorrow, how he said he was sorrowful, his soul was very sorrowful, even to death, is how he um, is speaking and sharing his feelings and expressing his feelings to his apostles. And then, even though he was expressing that sorrow, he still stayed the course. Like, in, in the midst of it really, as he's finishing expressing that sorrow, Judas shows up, the arrest happens, um, and you can go back to Matthew 26 and, and read that account. And if you weren't here on Sunday, go back and listen to the sermon. But he stays the course and then trusting the process. And for us, that means recognizing that there is a process. Like God is not just making us suffer just to suffer. He doesn't somehow get his kicks and jollies off of the fact that your shoulder hurts, your knee hurts, your marriage is in you know, a turmoil that he's using this as a means to to grow us, to refine us. And we went to James chapter one for that. And then Paul's words in Romans, how it produces endurance and a steadfastness and character, and that character produces hope and a myriad of other things as well. And so what we're going to do this coming week is wrap the series up with one final step uh, in how we can, can suffer well. And suffering well for us as believers means suffering in a way that honors the Lord, that, that brings him the glory that he is due in the suffering that allows us to grow in the way he wants us to grow and then helps us to sharpen others in that suffering as well. And today's questions uh, have nothing to do with uh, suffering, uh, but we do have some some questions today. As far as the, the series goes in um, suffering well, what I've been noticing um, and what's been really neat about this series is that in it, in it, it was particularly after the, the second sermon in this series, this idea of never isolating is a lot of people have been uh, opening up a little bit more about the things that they're going through. And I've had a lot of conversations in the, in the atrium, the real atrium, um, where people are feeling more comfortable to, to share what's going on in their lives and, and share particularly after this week, the fact that it is difficult. And I wanted to be careful with that, you know, Jesus expressing sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane because he did it in a way that wasn't sinful. And we can we can teeter on, you know, pity parties pretty quickly. And so I wanted to make sure that I tried to hone in on the fact that it wasn't a pity party. It was acknowledging the pain, the difficulty, and recognizing that, you know, if there were another way to get it done that you wouldn't necessarily want to go through through that, but recognizing that, you know, your desires for the will of God to, to be done. Um, but that particular piece in this idea of isolation seems to have stuck out to a, a lot of people. And there's a lot of people going through a lot of hard stuff um, in our church, and we know, you know, certainly across the, the globe. And so my hope and prayer is that this would help us you know, as a as a whole, as individuals, as we experience suffering, as we're in the middle of it, to whatever degree uh, that we would find, um, kind of find that that peace in it and sitting in it, because it's such a challenging thing, you know. And it's, I don't know, the suffering that we've been through in in our life. It can <clears throat> not just cause frustration, but uh, you know, frustration with the situation. Like I've had moments where even in the last couple of months where I've felt, you know, that frustration towards the Lord, because it's just like, come on, like just a little bit of a break, please, you know, just 
shut it, shut it down. Um, and so I, it, this series for me is very much on the job training going, okay, like be at peace came from the fact that I haven't felt at peace, mm-hmm. you know, with what, with where we're, we're at, you know, we're, we're going to die. We're feeling exhausted with everything. You know, Rachel had all that surgery and, you know, Rachel's now been sick with some cold or sinusitis or whatever it is for, for three weeks now. And she's been in a doctor. I think this will be her fourth or fifth appointment today with a doctor. She just can't seem to get over it and they're changing it about it. It's just like, when is enough going to be enough? And so I, like we haven't felt, I haven't felt that sense of peace and then yeah. recognizing like, well, I can't suffer well if I'm not at peace, if I'm all fired up mm-hmm. and in my arrogance, think that God should do something different than what he's allowing to to happen and go, well, I, I, I want to grow. I still want a relationship with you, but I don't want to deal with the suffering. I don't want to deal with, with that. You know, isn't this enough? Mm-hmm. Um, so these are things that, you know, I certainly haven't <laughs> mastered in any way, shape or form. And yeah. like, I'm having to go through myself in, uh, you know, Yesterday when Rachel had to go back to the doctor because, you know, she's got some new symptoms. I'm just like, okay, remember God's in control. Like, I'm going through this list myself. Like, it's not, it's not like, go do this and this will fix everything. Um, it's not it at all. So how, how do you guys find that you are in, in suffering? Do you, I know that's a kind of a, a new question, but do you find that um, your reaction is, you know, one of, kind of that James reaction where like this is joyful or do you find you get frustrated sometimes or does it depend on the length of the suffering? Probably like 10 to 20% of the time I can go, okay, God is in control yeah, <laughs> and he's probably using this to actually grow my faith and I need to just pause and reflect on that mm-hmm. and take that perspective in. And then 80 to 90%, I want to fix the problem quickly <laughs> and just get it over with and get it out of my life. Yeah. Um, which I, I think is probably the typical response of most human beings. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but, but even as a pastor, I need to grow in that area. I've definitely thought about that, especially this month. Um, a story and a point that keeps coming up as this series has been going on is um, a wild story is Roy Sullivan was a park ranger. Um, lived 71 years of life, and he was nicknamed the Spark Ranger. I've been bringing this this story to the football team, to, to young people, and just thinking about this myself, especially during the Suffer Well series. And it was in his 71 years of life as a park ranger, he holds the Guinness World Record for being struck by lightning the most times. Oh my. Seven times. Oh my. And he lived through every single one. <laughs> I have no idea what this dude was made of. <laughs> Metal. It, it was, yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Maybe metal. Maybe he's Wolverine. Um, maybe he became the Flash. I don't know. But it was a, the math was done um, by a professor that it was a 4.15 in non, 100 non-tillion chance. That's 30 zeros following the number 100 <laughs> that this would happen to this man. Damn, my. It's a ridiculous <laughs> chance. And the reality is, we have a hundred percent chance that some variety of trouble is going to strike our life. Oh yeah. Right. And, um, we've got to be made of whatever Roy Sullivan was made of <laughs> to get through our troubles. And I thought about John ten ten tells us that we all have an enemy, the thief, the devil who comes to steal, kill and destroy. And if he's on mission to do that in all of our lives as Christians, like he's not going to play softball with us. He's not going to come at us soft. It's going right. to be like a lion on the prowl. It's going to be like, lightning on Roy Sullivan. <laughs> it's going to be really challenging and difficult and invisible as 
we need to put the armor of God on because we fight something that we don't, we can't even see. We can't punch these things <laughs> out of our lives yeah. that, that the devil's throwing at us to try and um, kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. But that verse doesn't end there. It ends telling us about the good shepherd who has come that we might have life, true life, life abundant. And so we follow him. And, and a lot of us are going to feel doubt. We're going to have a higher chance of doubt doubt that God even cares about our trouble or doubt that God's even there in our trouble? Does he even exist? Does he even care about me um, while this trouble's going on? And I think about what the Lord actually does during trouble, during storms. I've been thinking about the summer series you did. Mm-hmm. Um, summer storms. Is that two summers ago, maybe? Now, Last summer. Yeah. yeah. Last summer, <clears throat> summer storms. Yeah. And Mark chapter 4, where... The disciples are out on the boat with Jesus, and the storm comes upon them. Lightning's popping off like Roy Sullivan is with them. <laughs> and they're being tossed by these waves, and they're terrified for their life. And verse 38 says that Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> they're all like, what are you doing? Like, we are about to die. And it just shows me, like, that's my response as a human being. I'm like the disciples, but what does the Lord actually do through my trouble? Like, he knows it can't even actually do anything to me, ultimately. His reaction is the true reaction of, of a believer. Um, and we should be so close to God, an intimate relationship with God, that no matter what storm is coming upon our life, and 100% chance we're going to have trouble, he overcomes it, and he's sleeping on it. <laughs> he, and so he gets up and says, do you guys still have no faith? And then... The wind and the waves obey him and calm down. And then I think about um, Jesus healing the royal official's son uh, in the same book, um, a little bit earlier in that book, where a royal official comes down and meets Jesus, and he asks him to heal his son who's going to die. He could lose him. Um, And Jesus says to him, you're not going to believe unless you see a sign or a miracle. And he's, he just doesn't even respond to that. All he says is, I need your presence. I need you to come with me. And upon that response, Jesus says, okay, your son will live. And goes back. And it seems that meeting Jesus actually trumped going to Jesus to get something from him, right? Like, this is Jesus who told the <clears throat> those who wanted the loaves of bread and fish to be multiplied look, you just want more food from me again. You want the tricks I can perform. You want what I can do for you. But mm-hmm. this man said, I, no, 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 I want you. I need you to come with me. I need you to get into the presence of my family and in my life. And that's the kind of response that changes everything, is wanting Jesus for who he is in our life, even if there's trouble, not just what he can do for us, as if he's a genie or a vending machine. Yeah. Um, and so often, because of trouble... We just, like I said, want it out of our life so quickly that we actually get that um, knee-jerk reaction of like, I just want God to do something and get this out of my life rather than walking with him through whatever this trouble might be and seeking what he wants uh, to do in us through it, not what we can, not what we seek from him to just remove it from our life. We've talked a lot about Paul asking for the thorn to be removed <laughs> and he's like, you're not gonna, I'm not gonna take it from you. Yeah, you're gonna have to actually be closer to me um, through this. So, yeah, I just think that we gotta change our perspective um, into wanting the presence of the Lord, not what we can get from Him to change our situation. 
not it's not circumstantial faith it's it's desiring his presence more than anything else um knowing that he overcomes our troubles i think that man going back to his son is now thinking like even if jesus doesn't take away my son's illness i met jesus and that was way greater than i could have expected mm-hmm. and now i'm gonna he's still gonna go tell his family to believe in jesus and they all come to faith in him after that as well so yeah yeah if my faith uh isn't growing it seems that i'm just going to keep being frustrated and my faith is actually growing i'm going to lose frustration and lose doubt even and continue to grow in trusting in the lord and who he is not just what he can do for me yeah that's like the two responses like either god is not there or you see god in the storm because god is using these storms to show himself yeah i think he reveals himself to us in the storms that's what he's choosing to do um and we either see him or we don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. How do you, Mark, for you, like when suffering comes in, do you, how do you process through that personally? What's uh, your experience? I mean, it, it is very, it's, it's very important for me to remember um, how, what am I learning from this? What can I get out of this? And this fact, like how is God trying to grow me? How is this going to uh deepen me in my relationship with God. Um, Cause I forget that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I will forget that that's even a possibility. Um, so it's important to, to focus on God's sovereignty and remember that, and that this isn't intentional. Um, Cause it, I, yes. I, I'll defer to, you know, this is a sin fallen world and, you know, bad stuff happens. Like just. Right. Get People over. get sick cause it's yeah. a broken world and that's right. how it works. But yeah, which it, is true, but still God's authority is over all of that. Yeah. Like he's allowed, you know, you look at a great wind that destroyed Job's kids. What was that? Likely some type of tornado or a great wind. Um, God used the, the natural things of this world, you know, were tornadoes in the garden of Eden, likely not, you know, sin enters the world, all creation groans, everything's broken, but God still uses those things for his his purpose. Mm-hmm. When you guys, and, and this has been part of our experience, but, and I said this on Sunday, like when you guys have been through suffering, when you when you think back on it, like I, I have moments where I can go back to it and I'm like, okay, this was a lot of, a lot of suffering and, you know, a big, a big wave of it. And sometimes I can point to very specific things that I learned from that. And sometimes not Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it's like these things are just, this is just one piece of the puzzle. And then who knows when the next piece is going to get put in and eventually it's going to use all these things to get to somewhere. But yeah, I keep this hair in my mouth. Um, is that been your guys' experiences as well? Is that sometimes you go through like heavy suffering and you come out of there and you're like, have you been like, okay, Lord, what do you want to teach me? And you come out and you're like, I don't really know <laughs> specifically what he wanted. You know, am I alone in that? Or have you guys experienced that at times? Yeah. God's providence is, is read backwards and um, we're not at the end of our race. And I think he's, a lot of things are kept from us, Yeah, but I, not to discount what's been done. Cause uh, I think we're growing in ways that we don't, we don't even recognize. Yeah. What about you, Chad? you yeah, I, I'd say I agree with that, that there's th- there's always going to be, um, like I said, there's 100% chance of trouble, so <clears throat> there's going to be a variety of that throughout your life and seasons throughout your life. Um, 
seasons where nothing goes wrong <laughs> and everything's going so well and, and there's growth happening still and, and everything's good. But then there's times where it's like, why in the world is this going on? And, um, or, or things stack up like you're talking about right now with your family and you've shared with the church, like it's just keeps stacking up. And right. <laughs> even the medication that my wife's taking is now causing creating, more, creating issues. more issues yeah. and, and you, you just start to really deflate and so, yeah, you, then, then the blinders are on. You can't see at all what, what God could be doing through this. You just are putting the blinders on to get through it, and hopefully yeah. you see the light one day, and hopefully things get a little bit lighter. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, part of that perspective thing I'm talking about for me right now through the Suffer Well series and, and what I was mentioning earlier through Jesus calming the storm, like if we see our Lord calm the storm and the, the wind and the waves even obey him, and he was able to heal this royal official's son. And in an instant when his words were spoken, that, that little boy was healed. And we also realize that that's the same Lord who rose from the grave. Then, of course, he has the power and the capacity um, to overcome our troubles. And to set our sights on that truth, even in the trouble, like that's what our perspective has to change to. And, and, and it, we really be serious about that and grow in our perspective, changing um, to that, because then we'll be prepared, right? That's what you're talking about, yeah. training in godliness. Like, you have to train, you have to be prepared for this thing that's not quite right in front of you. When you're in a season of flourishing and things are going well, you still have to train mm-hmm. for when those 100% chance that trouble comes in to where you're able to focus um, your sights on the Lord and what who He is and what He can do. Right, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. Even if you throw this in this fire, we know that the Lord could save us. Right. He might not, but we know He could. Yeah, that's that's where our belief is. That's where our faith is, no matter what. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm working on that. Yeah, same. <laughs> working on becoming Shadrach, well, Meshach, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yes. Well, <laughs> one last thing, and then we'll move on to the questions. Um, on Sunday, I, you know, I read Matthew 26, Matthew's account of Jesus in the garden, and then Luke's account of Jesus in the garden. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys, Rachel and I were talking about this on Sunday night, like it had never stood out to me that, and I had, for, I don't even know if I had ever, if, if it had ever stood out to me at all, or if I even knew that when Jesus is in the garden, he's praying, he's in agony, that right before that, you know, account of him, sweating those drops of blood that an angel comes to strengthen him. Mm. Had that ever, had you, had you caught that before? Yeah. I'd never caught that before. Um, and I, so I'm like studying, I'm like, what does this mean? Same thing happens after Jesus is in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. Angels come and they strengthen him. And I thought, what is it? Any theories on what that means? <laughs> Didn't they, that was in the Passion of Christ, the movie, wasn't it? Didn't they represent that in the movie? I don't remember. I saw that one time and never and never I, watched it again. Me too. That's it, why I don't remember. I, I, I vaguely I'm remember like, that. I can't that handle this movie. Right now. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you mean like um, it's a visible being that's actually? This is what him? it seems like. Yeah, like an angel yeah. Come, yeah. comes to strengthen, and so I assume it's a visible. Yeah. Like was bringing him Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a throwback to Elijah when, when right? an angel does bring bread and bread water. and water and yeah. Yeah. I don't know the disciples definitely weren't stepping up. We don't know if Jesus was fasting <laughs> at this point. The scriptures don't highlight it. 
You yeah, know. yeah. Well, but he it, just eating the Last Supper. He was just eating the Last Supper, so he was full. <laughs> he was full. He, he was doing intermittent fasting. <laughs> he was doing intermittent fasting. I think we all breakfast. know that that is the diet of our Lord. <laughs> it's the new gospel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. The diet of our Lord. Yeah, that stood out to me, and I, I don't know. There's there it I, is. Um, the diet. The, title. the diet of our Lord. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see how it goes. We'll see. Mark will see if we can top another, it. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's get to these questions. Where do you guys want to start? Let's start with, because um, these are kind of, let's, Chad, let's start with yours. You okay with that? Sure. Okay. Because mine is very similar to yours, and then maybe we can avoid Mark's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Question one. Hey, guys, I'm having a hard time understanding the theory of predestination. Since God knows what has already happened throughout time, he should know who comes to Christ and who chooses not to. I've also heard that there is no such thing as predestination. Could you please explain? Also, the pastor at my church was talking about prayer life and that our prayer life needs to be a balanced mix of praying in English or whatever your native tongue is and praying by speaking in tongues. I don't want to sound like a skeptic when I say this because my core belief is that Jesus is the Son of God and that he did die, rise again in three days at, in three days as a sacrifice for us. But I have a hard time believing people when they say God spoke to me and told me to do this or that or they start speaking in tongues when they are told to do so or in a group setting like a, during a service. Is our prayer life supposed to be mixed in that way? So it's kind of a two-part question yeah and the second part of that question we had another question how do we know if god is speaking to us so we'll just kind of handle that all together okay at the end yeah so yeah so we've dealt with predestination and speaking in tongues i feel like quite a bit on the podcast um well there's two questions here right yeah i mean there's it's he's talking about predestination then there's the right the the prayer life yeah yes so are they tied is he kind of like not no, tying think, them together. I think he's okay. just putting. He's gotcha. gotcha. Sent us an email and said, "I've got two questions, <laughs> two things, two theological points." It seems like he's wrestling with um, and, and hearing both sides of. And speaking of that, it's, there's pretty much two main schools of thought on this predestination point. I'll go back to that. He says, "I'm having a hard time understanding the theory of predestination since God knows what has already happened throughout time. He should know who comes to Christ and who chooses not to. I've also heard that there is no such thing as predestination. So he's kind of talking about the fact that there's um, uh, one school of thought being in the Calvinism school of thought that um, we are predestined to uh, be part of the elect if we are believers, um, that God is already preordained people um, to be saved, uh, and that it's more on God's will. The emphasis is on God's will. And then the other school of thought is the emphasis on free will, that a human being has the choice to choose God or not. And so the emphasis goes to the human being side more than um, it being God's will. It's up to them. Um, so we're, we're this church teaches the... The former side. That this this church teaches the Bible. The, the Bible. <laughs> Let's well, start the church there. Does. The Bible teaches. <laughs> the Bible teaches. Oh boy, we're revving Mark up. Our <laughs> I guess. Here we go. You want to take it? Came, no qualifiers. Hard. He's stop. like, I'll show you a spark ranger. <laughs> yes, and that you know, I, I just want to go to Ephesians one real quick on that. Ephesians one one through eight says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So a letter from Paul the Apostle addressed to believers um, who, who have been saved. And so he is use, he's going to use the language that this has been God's choice from the beginning that they're saved. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been blessed, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So he's talking to the, this collection of believers in Ephesus and to those of us today who have uh, placed our faith in Christ because um, it's a gift. He's even talking about that there. God gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So as we've um, come to know Christ and believe in him and trust him as Savior, that's a gift of faith to us. And so God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So there's an exchange that happened. We were slaves to sin, and God made it so we are slaves to righteousness through Christ and our faith in Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. So you see Paul keeping on giving the, the glory to God. This is all, um, all the credit goes to God. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. We don't have the wisdom or understanding to be saved without God giving us knowledge and understanding and wisdom and faith to begin with, to even place our faith in him and trust in him. Um, so that's where uh, I wanted to just go to, because you could do an entire podcast, an entire teaching series on this topic. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to bring that part up and um, then pass it to you guys. Sure. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, yeah. So, you know, hard time understanding the theory of predest predestination, don't we all? Um, but he says, I've also heard there's no such thing as predestination. Problem with that is it's taught in scripture. So whether you, you got to address it somehow, you just can't say it's not, it's not a thing because the Bible talks about, it. you just read it in Ephesians. Mm -hmm. So really it's talking about the view of what predestination means. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, for a pastor to just dismiss it and say, it's not a thing, I think is a little harmful yeah. because the Bible talks about it, and it's not just Ephesians one. It talks about it uh, through all out almost all of Paul's letters, uh, and even uh, in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. So, the the two ideas being one, God knows who He's going to save ahead of time, or He doesn't, and He just has set this plan in motion that makes people able to be saved. So that's really the the, the latter view. Mm -hmm. That's saying there's no such thing as predestination, meaning God doesn't have a list of people that. These are the elect, the chosen ones that will be saved. These are predestined. And so then they have to take predestination to mean something like God knows somebody's going to be saved. He doesn't know who, but he knows that he knows that the plan of Christ is going to work. And and my argument to that is how does he know that? Like how do you really know like Christ comes and accomplishes his work and what he's done? But he, he, he doesn't know who's going to be saved, but he knows somebody's going to be saved. Well, why does he know that much, but he doesn't know actually who will be saved? Um, it, it detracts from the omniscience of God. If God really knows everything, um, it takes away from God's omniscience. 
And really, these questions all today seem unrelated, but they all come down to the sovereignty of God, all, all three of them. Um, God is sovereign and com- in complete control um, from start to finish. And if he starts something, which he did in the Garden of Eden when he created the universe, he started something. Um, we, The Bible teaches, I believe, the view that he knew what was going to be the ending. He knew the end of time. Um, we read it on Sunday, Revelation 1, I am the Alpha, the Omega. Right. Or the God who was, or the God who the is. The Revelation is, the whole book is is <laughs> right. a teaser saying, look, this is how it ends. Right. Like, I know. I know. Yeah. And even in Revelation, it says the, the names written in the book of light since, life since before the foundation of the, the world, world right. before the creation, um, there was a book with a list. And whether it's a physical book or not, the point is it's particular and it's, it's specific. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, the, the problem with that is if God doesn't know who's going to be saved, then he's not omniscient. Because then that means there's there's something that exists outside of God. Mm-hmm. And if something exists outside of God, then he's not truly God. Um, God, and that that's that's the heart of God's sovereignty. And what that ultimately will mean is that God is in charge of salvation. So God is in charge of who is saved, when they're saved, and how they're saved. The idea, the people who want to say predestination uh is more it isn't a thing our salvation is based on free will uh are attributing too much power to ourselves for us to save ourselves and the whole point of the of the gospel is that we cannot save ourselves the whole point of grace is that we need god's grace because nothing we can do can save ourselves we're under the curse we can't be removed from it since we're under the curse so we need some somebody outside of the curse to save us um so predestination is taught in the bible you got it. You have to address it one way or the other. To just say it doesn't exist is, I think, harmful. Uh, you got to you got to explain it somehow. You got to explain it um, in a way I think that honors God's sovereignty, that honors His control. Yeah, he has an interesting theological musing, saying, "Since God knows what has already happened throughout time, it seems to him he should know who comes to Christ and who chooses not to." That was one of the things when I, I wrestled with this because I, I, I've been on both sides of this argument sure. in my life. And um, and, and uh, it was pre- presented to me in a way like if God, if God knows who's going to be saved, if God – well, first of all, if God's omniscient, he knows everything and he knows the end of time. Mm-hmm. Revelation is a testament to that. But he knows more than just the book of Revelation. He knows everything. Um, and if he truly knows that, then he knows who's going to be saved. Right. And if he knows who's going to be saved, what power do we have to change that? And then that, I know that opens up some struggles people have with this biblical doctrine, mm-hmm. and it is a biblical doctrine, uh, but the, the, the truth is none of us deserve to be saved. The fact that anybody is saved at all is a, is a demonstration of mercy and grace. Um. But that hit me, and I was like, you know, I either God knows everything or he doesn't. Either he knows I'm going to be saved or he doesn't. And if God, if I exist right now, and God doesn't know that I'm going, if I'm going to be saved or not, I might on, you know, if I on my deathbed recant and uh, apostatize and deny God on my deathbed, and God doesn't know that's coming, is he really God? Is he yeah. really wor- wor- worth worshiping? 
if he doesn't know what's around the next corner, why does he deserve any of my praise? What, what power does he really even have? Yeah. Like what? Well, yeah, that's where he kind of answers the question um, for himself. Cause he's saying, well, if God knows all, then he's choosing to limit his knowledge when it comes to salvation. Who's going to choose him and who's not? Say that again. I'm not sure I understood. He's limiting his knowledge. His own would, God's he, limiting his own knowledge. Right. He would have to limit his own knowledge about who's going to come to salvation. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah. I, <clears throat> as I've gotten, I think older in my faith. When I was younger, I came from a bit of a background that was very much, you know. Un, almost like unlimited free will, if you can break them up into two categories, limited free will and unlimited free will. But mm-hmm. when it comes to salvation, this idea of unlimited free will, like people make that decision, they can choose to reject God, they can choose to um, receive God. And a lot of it boiled down to looking back in and through my journey, just studying the scriptures, you know, on my own and not sitting under leaders that were saying these things and but actually like digging into to the text, a lot of the issue that people have with this is it just doesn't seem fair. And and we live in a in a world where we'll hammer into our kids. We all have kids, I don't know if ledgers of age yet, but Henry, Oscar Vade, and Cece certainly are, where they have said, that's not fair. And then what's your response? Life isn't fair. And we have no problem teaching that to our our children in regards to life and uh, what's available to them, what they're able to do, what they're not able to do. Um, But when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to salvation, the idea that God chooses some, which means he rejects others, that that's the hard part. It's not that he's choosing to save people. I don't think any Christian would have an issue with him choosing to save people. It's just that he chooses to save a finite number of people. And the others, he he rejects. They were they were made for a different purpose. The wicked are made for the day of destruction. We've talked about Romans nine. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, vessels of wrath. And who are we to argue with God as vessels of mercy? And so it just seems so to us in our finite minds very unfair. And then the next question is invariably, well, if God is love, how can He send people to hell? And then people say, well, we're not, God doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell because we're born in sin. But it all ends somewhere. Like, and that's it. Like, you and I have talked about this. All of us have. Like, God has to be at the top or else he's not God. That's what you just said. So everything, yeah, the garden, sin, Satan, powers of darkness, the fall, the flood, Abraham, sin, like all... all all of it is within his power to 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 stop right or to allow to to ordain and i have gotten as i've gotten older and just more aware of the bible i've gotten more and more comfortable with god being god because that's what god does yeah he does what he wants for his own glory and who am i like who am i to sit here in my finite, broken, fragile state and argue with God. I was in Job 39 through 42 this morning. 
just reading. Yeah, you just summarized the whole point of the book of Job. Right. Yeah. And the whole and, point and, is, was boiled down to what you just said. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. I'll read the... When, when it finally dawns on Job, and that's kind of what it is. It finally dawns on Job after God just gives him his... Uh, his his resume where am I, I'm, I'm going past it um where he's telling job like you know who is this that dares to to speak to me and you know say all these things to me and job i'm summarizing in the end basically is says you know i'm going to put my hand over my mouth cuz i've spoke of things that are too wonderful for me to to even understand like and, yeah. and god's like if you're so great if you're so smart if you're so wise then tell me tell me where you were tell me tell me how the oceans go no further tell me how and that's um yeah there's that line that line in job that that we love to quote goodness, even though you slay me still i'll i'll basically it's paraphrased still i'll worship you job says look god can do anything to me and i'll still worship him but if you read it carefully he's really saying even if you kill me, I'll still praise you. But when I die and get in front of you, I'm still going to bring my case to you. I'm still going to question you. And it's not a matter of deep faith, although he is showing faith, but he's still showing his doubt and saying, God, this isn't fair. Right. How did you, why did you do this to me? And it's this, uh, if you read it carefully, it's this verse. It's like, that's our attitude. Right. What do you mean predestination? That's not fair. And right. we're putting our standard as if we have a higher standard than God. Right. And that boils down to us not understanding his holiness. And then that's that's what that's the answer in, in 39 to 42 that God gives Job. Sorry, go ahead. No, he Job answers him twice. You know, he starts, you know, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? God's just reading him the riot act. <laughs> and Job promises silence. And Job answered the Lord, uh, 40, uh, verse 3, uh, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. What's Job basically saying? He's like, I'm going to shut up now. Yeah. Like, I, okay, I'm getting it. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm gonna be quiet now. <laughs> and God still comes at him. He's, yeah. he's not satisfied with, with that. And so God continues to hammer Job. I mean, he, he's hammering him. And then Job answered the Lord, uh, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and make it known uh, to me. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust in ashes. Yeah. And that's, that's, I'm very much getting very comfortable with that approach to the majority of what I don't understand or what I don't think is, is fair or what might not seem even when it comes to suffering. Like, I mean, I've gone back and forth, like the things that, that we've experienced over the last seven years have been challenging. And I'm like, why, why so heavy on us? I mean, well, because you're in ministry. And I'm like, dude, we are like we're a tiny church in, in a Just nowhere as town. Much of the mist and the vapors, everyone else is everyone else. Yeah. We're we're nothing. Like I feel nothing, absolutely nothing. Why all this? And then you start to go, well, God, maybe you should do it this way. This might be better. But it's like getting to that place where it's like, okay, God allows little Timmy to be born, knowing that little Timmy is going to suffer an eternity in hell, and that's like poor Timmy. Timmy didn't have a chance. And it's like, it's what God, it's what God wants that brings him glory. 
And so what am I, I'm going to just shut up, put my hand over my mouth and just praise the Lord that he has been gracious to me. And when I was dead and am dead in my trespasses and could do nothing, right? Which speaks to predestination. What can a dead person do? Nothing. What can the sin nature, sin nature is never drawn to God. Things we've all, you know, gone over in the podcast and in the past, but I've gotten very comfortable just being, okay, this is, this is how it, this is how it is. And Mark's, you're right. Like there's no way to, to read the Bible and come out that there is no such thing as predestination. God's been choosing people since the beginning. Like he it's literally almost, calls them my chosen people. Yeah. <laughs> like he's destroying army after army after army, you know, so that he can get these Israelites to where they need to be. Why? Because that's what, that's what brings him glory. And, and who am I to sit back and go, okay, you know, and some may be like, well, that's easy for you to say because you're you're in. Well, God's given me the faith to believe his word. And so, yeah, it's easy for me to say, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done in me and what he's done in you, what he's done in you and what he can do in anyone else. And so that's, that's what should drive humility in us is the recognition that literally if there was anything that we could do to get salvation, then how could we be humble in any way, shape, or form? But God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so if there was any way we could get salvation, then Jesus was absolutely useless. If there was just one person that could have kept the law, flawless. And I know Paul yeah. says flawless, but we know that, you know, there's there was no one except for Christ. And so mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time understanding the theory of predestination. It's pretty simple. God chooses and knows, or, or he doesn't. Since God knows what has already happened throughout time, he should know who comes to Christ and who chooses not to. That's absolutely true. I've heard there's no such thing as predestination. Uh, that's that's false. That's a lie. And so I've gotten very comfortable with it. I'm at the point now where I'm assured of it and, and very comfortable and fine with God being in that place of complete power and authority over salvation. All right, let's go on to the second part of the question, which will lead us into, ultimately, question two. Uh, it says, again, also the pastor at my church was talking about prayer prayer life and that our prayer life needs to be a balanced mix of praying in English or whatever native tongue is and praying by speaking in tongues. I don't want to sound like a skeptic when I say this because my core belief is that uh, Jesus is the Son of God and that he did die and rise again in three days as a sacrifice for us, but I have a hard time believing people when they say God spoke to me and told me to do this or that. And we'll kind of, we'll move into that in a little bit here. I'll, I'll start with the, the speaking in tongues, which uh, again, there's a, a few episodes y'all could go back to and listen to, um, so I won't go too far into it, but I find it interesting that the the listener says that their pastor, the pastor they're listening to, says there needs to be a good mix of your native tongue and speaking in tongues in your prayer life, um, that that's an indicator that you're saved, right? Um, that is what some denominations believe, that you're, you're sealed by the Spirit once you speak in tongues, that you're baptized by the Spirit. Um, and they typically get that from um, the Pentecost section, Acts, Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So one, 
doesn't say they speak in some kind of spiritual tongue. It says they spoke in different tongues. Verse 5, now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? So some, um, some churches teach that you're sealed by, again, you're sealed by the Spirit once you speak in tongues, the gift of tongues. Because of uh, these verses at Pentecost, when it's literally telling us that everybody was able to hear um, the message loud and clear in their own tongue, <laughs> showing us more that God is a God of clarity and not confusion, that God is uh, wanting his message to be clear to all these different, this diverse collection of people from all over the world to hear eventually the gospel. It's going to come up in Peter's sermon, um, not this gift of tongues that seals you. That's not what it's talking about as I read it. And so this mix of praying in English or praying in your native tongue and praying and speaking in tongues um, is kind of coming from that. And then I also just want to add to that part two of my answer is this person, this, this, this pastor is kind of using their authority to add to the scriptures. Yeah. And you guys luckily brought up Revelation already, and Revelation tells us not to add to the book. Um, not to add to the scriptures. That's how he winds it down. That's how he winds it down. It's basically the end of the book. <laughs> yeah. Verse 19 of chapter 22 of Revelation, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about this book. Um, oh, right before that, he says, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Um, so there's there's stark warning to especially a teacher who's adding to um, the book of the Lord, the word, the word of the Lord, saying, listen, this is what the Lord teaches, where I find nowhere that um, there's a verse that say, you got to mix up your native tongue and your spiritual uh, tongue, or your, 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 you know, your, your gift of speaking in tongues. In fact, Paul says, I wish that all of you would just <laughs> understand the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and teach it to each other and counsel one another with it, and none of you have the gift of tongues, if that's what it, you know, came down to. Um, so it seems that there's a, uh, a misuse of the word, a misuse of authority here. I want to point out that's not what the Bible teaches, and um, you can pray in English, <laughs> and that's just fine. <laughs> See. Yeah, clear. Uh, the point is, the point, so yeah, the point is, the way God or intended. your native tongue. <laughs> right. That's good enough for the founding fathers. Right. I'm assuming, That's what European Jesus would want. <laughs> I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming that because this person wrote to me in English that they're praying in English, so maybe I shouldn't assume. But uh, the whole point is God's a God of clarity, not, not man, you're going to be locked in. You're going to really know that you're a believer once you have this gift. Yeah. Master Spark. Spark Ranger. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> Mark brings the lightning. Oh. Uh, yeah, so um, speaking in tongues, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 would be the main text on this because uh, it talks about speaking in tongues. And then even also talks about speaking in tongues in uh, worship, the worship service, mm -hmm. um, addresses it directly. Um, so listener, 
read this chapter. We can't read it all right now, but this addresses it directly. Uh, chapter 14 starts, though, uh, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he understands, utters, excuse me, utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And then Paul here unpacks an argument between speaking in tongues and prophesying, and those being two components of worship. And he's deferring to prophesying, because prophesying is understood by the mind and the spirit, where speaking in tongues is only understood by the spirit. And he builds his case saying, you probably shouldn't even really be using tongues because it's, they're not being interpreted. And further, you're not using them properly because you're creating chaos and disorder. And he says this, skip down to verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Paul's saying, focus on the prophecy, the teaching, and the speaking forth of God's Word that will build up the church that's there. Not only that, but it'll build up the guests and the people who might be new to the gospel, and they'll understand it. You won't be up there speaking in a tongue and confusing them. Uh, and then he's going to end the chapter 14. He, he continues on his, with his, uh, with his argument, um, building, building on his argument. And then he ends up at uh, verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Uh, so the the focus and the drive here is on prophecy because it's for building up the the church mm -hmm. and the teaching of the church. Um, but the beginning it talks about praying in tongues, that spiritual language that you have yourselves with God. I think that's where a lot of people get this idea for a prayer language, mm -hmm. uh, speaking to God in their own prayer language. Yeah, there's no command in Scripture that is uh, replicated or is that kind of gets to what the listener here is saying it, their pastor has told them to do. There's nothing, there's no qualification saying churches have to pray in tongues at all. Um, the verse 39 here that I just says is do not forbid speaking in tongues, mm -hmm. um, but there's nothing that says you have to do so much or a certain percentage in a tongue. There's certainly no qualification to say tongues are what is the guarantee of your salvation. Um, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your salvation, the seal on your salvation, not speaking in tongues. Um, and the, the Corinthian church was very much focused on tongues, focused on what he just says, manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, and, and maybe this church is kind of going down that road as well, uh, being too focused on the showy, showy elements of the gifts. Um, but no, there's no, um, there's no should-bes or supposed-to-bes in this, in this arena. Uh, sorry, speaking in tongues. I did a, a series called, was it Untapped? I think years ago and went over these, these gifts. Um, so I would encourage a listener to go to the sermon archive and look for the Untapped sermon series and take a, a listen to that. And I've referenced that in, in the past. There, there seems to be, you know, I, I don't really know what this pastor is. Um, well, let me go back to this. Um, also, the pastor at my church was talking about prayer life. Prayer life needs to be balanced and mixed praying in English or whatever your native tongue is and not praying, uh, speaking in tongues. I don't want to sound like a skeptic uh, when I say this. And 
you don't, and you kind of have to be, <laughs> it, not in some ways. First um, John four, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For me, false prophets have gone out into the world. So when you hear anything come out of, and, and we, you can't be so concerned with doctrinal error that you miss doctrinal truth. We've talked about that on the podcast in the past, but just, there is no, just take our word for it. That's not, that's not what it is. And so if you've got a, a pastor, I don't care if it's me, Chad, Mark, Bob, you know, this particular pastor in, in this, you, 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 you have to hold what they say up against scripture especially if it doesn't sound like if they get up there and they're like, you know, Jesus is the son of God. You don't be like, okay, well, is that in the Bible? Like there's some things that you know are in the Bible already. But when you get up there, when a pastor gets up there and starts saying, okay, now listen up, you know, you got to speak. There needs to be a good balance between your, your uh, prayer language. And that's what this has to be referring to is, is, yeah. you know, the prayer language, right? Because he's talking about prayer yeah. in the series is prayer life. Context clues are it's there. not acts two where you've got, you know, that's the gift of tongues, but it's more the gift of interpretation than anything because they're hearing it's the gift of hearing. Mm -hmm. And then you see Paul give instruction on orderly tongues in the church. That's not the prayer language. That's a message from God that is spoken in a, in a previously unlearned language. And then there's another person. It's a two-sided gift where there's a person that interprets, and we're not to forbid that. That can be that can be done, but it needs to be done in an orderly fashion. And then there seems to be this prayer, this prayer language uh, that Paul's referring to, that Mark referred to as well, which shouldn't be used in the church. There's only instruction in the corporate setting of this, you know, message from God that comes in tongues, and then an interpretation. I've been in Pentecostal churches where. Uh, everybody's speaking in their prayer language all at once and it's nuts and it's common. Yeah. It's very and common. And it's, it's, a, it's an encouraged thing and it's chaos. You can see yeah. that it's not building up the church. It's building up the individual. Uh, I've been to churches where it's like, you know, this is holy. We're going to, you know, tonight you get the Holy spirit and he's going to come into your life. And you're going to know that because you're going to speak in tongues. I've attended services like this because I want to know what's out there. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I don't know specifically what this pastor is, is saying that they should exercise this this prayer language, this gift of tongues in the corporate setting. That shouldn't happen at all. That's that's a private thing. That's that's a private form of tongues. That does it exist today? Well, I don't think you can say that it it doesn't because we're not to you know we're not. I'm not a cessationist. I think that it can exist. I think we need to be careful with it, like like anything. Um, we make sure that we're pursuing these things for the right reasons. I have asked the Lord for the gift of tongues. Mm -hmm. I've asked him for that, not necessarily in the public setting, but in the private setting, and I've never felt or had that manifestation of tongues. And I don't know why. It's just not what the Lord has. But I do know why, because prophecy is the preferred gift, which I have also asked the Lord for, and he's given me an opportunity to do that every, every single Sunday. Yeah. And that's that's not prophesying new things that's taking that's um, explaining that which has already been revealed. We're not talking about new revelation prophecy. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about a different type of, of prophecy. So when I say don't don't be worried about being a skeptic. A skeptic may not be the right word, but you want to test these things, especially if does something doesn't sit well. Um, well, with the you. and the danger here is that the, these pastors are putting something on their people that's not in scripture. They're yoking, yeah, uh, their their uh, congregants with a requirement that's not in scripture because it says, uh, you know, they're being told to do so, yeah, or in a group setting, and like and even saying you should be doing this. Um, when they're 
like they're not just adding to scripture they're adding instructions that god hasn't given us to give to to people when this listener goes um, right back to the gospel right and says you know i have core beliefs that jesus is the son of god he died and rose again but i'm not comfortable with these other things and i think you're not comfortable because they're not yeah they're not in scripture and that's what the pharisees did they were yep. burdening the people with yeah. uh these extracurricular requirements yes adding on additives which is and then yeah he responds my core belief like a seemingly unrelated statement right but it's not because he's summarizing he gives us a very nice and tidy summary of the gospel it's like my core belief is the gospel right yeah um and uh but being skeptical well said yeah it seems that um the pastor is encouraging him to do this as a a how-to as if the listener went to the pastor and um, as our next question is going to state, how do we know God's speaking to us? Well, you know God's speaking to you when you pray like this. Like you can pray in your native language, but you got to mix in yeah. um, praying in tongues and this que- this listener saying, well, well it seems is like our this prayer is life a, supposed to be mixed like, that way? Like this is a series. Like the pastor in my church was talking about prayer, prayer life and our prayer life needs to be balanced. So, you know, I imagine this is probably coming in some type of series about prayer yeah, and, and, and here's how you do it. And, and what is even that mix? What is even that balance? Like, where do you find that anywhere in, in scripture? And, and why would God, <laughs> it, like it literally says that, that tongues builds up who? The individual. Yeah. So yeah. why would God require a mix for that personal for group? Right, yeah. for a group in any way, shape, or form, because it's just for the individual. And you could see where it could build up the individual. And I talked about this in Untapped when you're by yourself and all of a sudden you're, the Holy Spirit is, is filling you and you're speaking in this prayer language and it feels legit um you know because it, but I, and again like I, i'm like this listener like why i'm in I, and i've been in churches in public group services where someone just stands up and starts yelling something and you know i mean instantly the radar goes up so to speak and i'm just like uh, you know does does this person what are they really saying in and it was interpreted and I've, I've experienced this several times and what was interpreted was godly, but it seemed to me, and this is where <laughs> I need to probably check myself, but it's like, I forget what the one interpretation was, but it was something as general as, you know, the Lord, your God is with you. The Lord, your God loves you. The Lord sent his son Christ. And I'm like, we didn't need the magic words to, to all agree on that. Um, you know, and again, it's the building up. And so I think it's good to have your, um, kind of have your ears perked up in a sense, especially when somebody starts, like Mark said, you know, yoking you to something that scripture doesn't yoke, yoke you to, mm-hmm. um, because it, yeah, w- once we start doing that, like, where does that end? You know, where, where does that end? I mean, you, you get whole, <laughs> whole belief systems and religions that are about, you got to do these certain things and pray to these certain people and give this certain money and confess these certain things at these certain times. And now you're just, you're kind of off to the races, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The other thing that this person references being skeptical about, um, is a you know, hard time with people believing when they say God spoke to me. And that's kind of our, that'll probably be our last question today. Um, which is very straightforward. How do we know if God is speaking to, to us? And I've addressed this from the pulpit. I did a whole sermon about, cautioning people to say something like God told me, mm-hmm. um, and to switch that language to the Bible says, instead of going up to someone and say, listen, God told me to tell you instead of going up and say, Hey, listen, you know, the Bible says that we should, and then fill in the blank X, Y, Z, because it, 
this idea that you know God is speaking um, to people individual messages and he's going to speak to you audibly some individual message or speak it to to me there's no way for us to validate that in any way shape or form and I have had more instances than not where God has told people uh, to tell me something and it's nowhere in scripture. A lot of times it's based on preferences, right? Um, God told me that we were going to get married. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. And I've had people say, you know, God told me I'm going to marry this individual and that didn't happen. And so we put, mm-hmm. we put Trump is actually more president. Often than not. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. Right. You know, think about political season. Yeah. Um, what happens uh, in in that. And so how do we know if uh, God is speaking to us? Because it's in the Bible. Like it's that, it's that simple. We talked about, you know, um, in this series, like second Timothy uh, three sixteen and 17, all scriptures, God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Like that's, that's it. God speaks to us through his word, um, which makes people feel really uneasy sometimes because they're like, well, but so you don't think the spirit can like lead us and things? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what the spirit is not going to do is give you something new. It's not going to give you something new that cannot be validated in scripture. You know, um, instances like, you know, God told me that you guys are going to get pregnant. Don't worry about it. God's going to give you, God's going to give you a baby. Don't say that. Don't do that because you don't know. And then if they do have a baby, you're like, God told me, but if they don't, then, then what? So it's that new revelation. I don't see, um, where, where that, uh, is God speaking. I think, you know, people have good intentions. A lot of times, uh, I've had a lot of years, a lot of people over the years, you know, come to me and tell me very specific messages that God told them to tell me. And none of, none of them have been helpful. None of them have been, none of them have come true. Uh, <laughs> like some of the, most of them have been, you know, uh, hurtful or harmful and we need to go to people with, you know, uh, with God's word. That's how we know. That's how we know that God is speaking. Now, am I saying that we, the Holy spirit can't lead us in certain directions and it's not a chapter and verse Bible. I'm not saying that because I wouldn't want to put God in the box, um, in, in any way, shape or form, but you're just treading on such dangerous ground uh, to start believing that, you know, God is speaking to you directly messages that cannot be validated in scripture, um, that God has given you. And this comes from that charismatic movement as well. Like God's given me a word for you, you know, Mark, I've got a word for you. And I've had people prophesy over me. Um, I visited, I've visited all kinds of churches. When I first got into this role as, as lead pastor, I'm like, let me go see what's out there. And so when I was on my study breaks, I would go to a lot of different churches and I had people like prophesying over, you know, I see this and this and and, I, and the Lord's telling me to tell you this. And just none of it has come come true. But what has always stood the test of time is God's word. It's a solid rock. It's the foundation which could be stood on. So, again, for this listener, it says, you know, they have, have a hard time believing when the people see people say God spoke to me. I, I do as well. I have a hard time with that as well um, because there's no... I just had a, a, a case recently where, you know, God told a person one thing that was completely 
against Scripture, and I'm not going to get into details, but God told me to X, Y, Z, and whatever X, Y, Z was was a direct violation of Scripture. And then a couple weeks later, God told him to do something that was in Scripture. And I'm like, well, that one I can get on board with. (laughs) The one where God told you to, you need to be in the Word. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. We can validate that. You know, Joshua 1 eight, meditate on the book day and night. That's, we, we got that. You know, God told me I should, you know, uh, I need to forgive my wife. Okay. Now we're going somewhere. (laughs) Like, I believe that. I believe that, um, you know, God's not giving you a unique message. It's a universal truth of, of his word and one that he would tell anybody, but these very specific, very nuanced things where it's like, you know, God told me that you and Liz need to sell your house and you need to move to, you know, Avon Lake, um, because, you know, God's got an opportunity for you there. That to me, we just start getting off in, into the weeds. So how do you guys feel about that? You... Yeah. Like you just said, it typically leads to repentance when there's, um, the spirit inspiring you to do something, to make a move, to, to take a step forward, not, um, you know, there's an opportunity for you out there in a certain city. And God's telling me that, that that's, something like you've said to, to perk your ears up at that's, um, that's going to put somebody else in a position. Like you also hinted at to receive credit, (laughs) right? I I got the word to give to you. So yeah, it's, it's, there's reason to be skeptic about that. I guess use that, that word again. Um, but it's typically, yeah, going to lead to repentance and, and change and turning back to the Lord, um, in your walk with him, not, not taking on a certain job or opportunity or something that's going to, allow you to gain, um, in this life and in this world. Um, you can use wisdom to go move somewhere and do work for the Lord, (laughs) but there's not necessarily, uh, again, it kind of makes God out to be a genie or, uh, I don't know, a GPS (laughs) pointing you in a certain direction. And and it makes us, uh, put ourselves in scripture as if we're like Abraham. Like that's what it makes me think of when it's like, I've got a word for you. You are going to have a child. It's like, well, God did that for like Abraham, because Isaac had a crucial role <laughs> in history. Um, I don't know if, if you're, you're random. <laughs> I mean, it's going to point to Jesus. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and Jesus has already come, so it's it doesn't play a role in the revealed word. Like, we've been t- the theme today has kind of been prophecy. Prophecy is explaining the word that's been revealed to us. Um and so the final work has been done through Christ, right? It's kind of like misusing the word, like you're, you're going to have an Abraham moment. Well, an Abraham moment was specific to redemptive history. <laughs> yeah. Not, not for your happiness because you desire to have a kid. You know, what, what is God actually doing? Again, back to that. What is God doing through your trouble? What is God doing through um, trying to have a child, for example? And it, it's just not happening. That's what we have to um, move our perspective to, not try and speak over somebody's life. What's going to happen? That's that's called manifestation, not not using wisdom um, and using the word of God. Yeah, yeah. God told me to ask you next. That'll preach. God, that makes sense, <laughs> right? Because yeah, he's God, God asked. God told you to remove a table. God told me the podcast. that we're just going to sit here and hold these long mics. <laughs> God told me we're moving, moving to the 
to the couch. I don't mean to make light of that, but you know, it does wind up being very, very careless, I think. And yeah, that's the word. There's just no, like God has also given us the common grace and common sense. Like he's given us minds. He's given us his spirit. Like, I don't know why we have to pin everything on him. You know, why can't you just say to somebody like, you know, I think it might be a good idea for you to take this job. Um, you know, it seems to be better hours. You'll be able to spend more time with your family. You'll be able to get back in church because you're not working on Sunday. Why do I have to be like, you know, God told me yeah, that yeah. he wants you back in church on Sundays. And so you can, why can't we just say that? Like I, I've tried to be real careful over the years. I agree with that. You know, uh, when preaching, talking about, you know, even shifts and changes in sermon series, you know, like God told me like we need to change it. Like when I was explaining stuff well, I, I'm like, well, it, it seemed like, yeah. you know, this would be a good time to do the Suffer Well sermon series. And so I was mm-hmm. asking the Lord, like, what should we do? And then it didn't feel right to do First Peter 4. So, and like taking ownership for some of these things, not pinning him uh, with these things, because yeah, do I know with 100% certainty that this is specifically and exactly what God wanted us to do as, as a church? And if you go all the way back up to the top... Well, if he's in charge of all things, then the answer has to be yes. Now, whether it'll prove to be fruitful doesn't matter because sometimes he wants unfruitful things because the next thing is going to be fruitful. So ultimately, yes, God God moves all these pieces. But to sit there and, and when you use that language like God told me, it creates this mystery, and in, in specifically as a pastor— I think that language can become even more dangerous because people will buy into that because yeah. they already think that you're something that you are not. And you start using that language and feeding into that, you know, well, God, the Lord showed me, you know, that this is what we have to do as a church. And I, I, I don't know. I just... That, that, that's but you're so, also setting yourself up to be infallible. Right. It's just careless. Like you're, yeah, yeah, like you say that and then you really can't be questioned by anybody. Right. Which is the Which is a terrible idea. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No. No. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got time for one more. I like that you think I can answer a question quickly. <laughs> I think you can. I think you can be concise. Would you marry a torso? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that Jared's question? Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Just be married to me if I was a torso. Just a torso. Oh, man. <laughs> I think we cut that from the podcast. We did. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah uh, I think you're Chad's off the letting the, yeah. deleted. Chad's team. letting the cat out of the bag, so to speak. Yeah. Wait. All right, start there, Jared. <laughs> yeah, we'll start here. All right, one more question, Mark. We we got. Uh, yeah. So ha- the question is, how do you know you're not a mistake? Um. Well, if you have to ask, then. You probably are. Who oh boy. No, that's a joke. <laughs> All right, Jared, start here. <laughs> we keep having a restart. Not that one. Now we can keep that. Um, yeah. So how do you know you're not a mistake? Um, first of all, you're not mm-hmm. a mistake. Um, and thinking of this historically, uh, this kind of question wouldn't have really even been asked 100 years ago. This whole idea is a relatively new idea, and I think it's come along with things like birth control and uh, our modern mindset of living our lives how we want to live. Because up until about 100 years ago, children were universally 
perceived as blessings. And they were a gift from God. Mm-hmm. And that comes from Scripture. They are a gift from God. And we're told to fill our quiver full of Ooh, kids. Yes. And that goes back to the origin story, the mandate that we are to be fruitful and multiply. Because as we create and procreate, we make little image bearers of God and spread God's glory that way. And that's a commission on us to this day. So the the perception of even having kids as a mistake, as a bad thing at all, is a relatively new idea. Because kids, for the majority of history, have been a blessing, a positive thing for tons of reasons. First was first and foremost, what I just said scripture, but also, um, you know, work in the farm, mm-hmm. more kids you have, your mm-hmm. progeny, who would inherit your name, your legacy, all comes through kids. So now we have this idea in modern culture, though, that kids can be a mistake, which would have been unheard of in even just the New Testament times. That idea would have been unheard of because kids were a blessing. Kids were something that uh, were a gift. Um, so this is a modern, I think, a modern question, a modern problem. How do you know you're a mistake? This idea that you're not supposed to be here uh, or, you know, your parents screwed up and now as a result you exist or that you exist and you shouldn't exist. It'd be better if you didn't exist. Mm. And the only hint we get at that in Scripture is Judas, where Jesus says it would have been better if that man had never been born, Yeah, which is a very interesting verse. Predestined. But <laughs> it says it would have been better for Judas had he never been born, yet Judas was part of God's deliberate plan. Right. And so this goes back to sovereignty. Yeah. The sovereignty of God that he is in control. Colossians 1 says all things are created through Christ. They're created through him, but they're also created for him. So if you're an image bearer of God, you're created for Christ intentionally. You're not an accident. God is the giver of life, and he does not give life willy-nilly. Or arbitrarily. He gives... <laughs> What's going on with this question? <laughs> no, I'm fine. It was just your tone was way too serious to say willy-nilly. <laughs> it was uh, it's just so scholastic and scholarly. <laughs> I used to say golly a lot, and it would have that same effect. Oh, so I had to okay. quit saying yeah. golly. No, I'm not saying you pull willy-nilly out of the uh, repertoire there. The, <laughs> I pulled the, golly out. Okay, well, you see what you um, God would never do anything. Willy nilly. <laughs> but if we go back and look at the purpose and the Jesus meaning of what actual human life is, human life is uh, is the the centerpiece of the story of redemption. And so let's let's break this down into two into two uh, two thoughts two thought processes. To consider yourself a mistake, either your mistake from God or your mistake from your parents, uh, and Mistake might not even be the best word. Uh, were you intentionally planned? And this was, you know, all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted and your parents sat down and like, we're going to have a baby this, we're ready. No, I have three kids. Technically, they were all mistakes. <laughs> Willy-nilly over here. They were... <laughs> <laughs> we cannot name the podcast Willy-nilly. It's just, I know where you're, you're about to write that down. Or quiver filler or anything. <laughs> like you're gonna... um, obviously, it doesn't mean I regret my kids. Um, 
<laughs> oh, obviously. obviously. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, they don't listen to this. Um, <laughs> um, but the intentionality of the act was not the degree of whether I was a mis- I was a mistake or not. You're a mistake or not. My kids yeah. were a mistake or not. The intentionality of God giving you life is the measure. Regard even if even yeah. if and I know I've I've talked to people where their parents have told them that they were a mistake. And they're typically doing that to hurt them, to be yeah. to in a mean spirited way to 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 hurt their kid, which is heartbreaking. And that can be a very heavy thing. Yeah. And if you're in that situation, I don't know mm-hmm. that I don't know who this is, but if you're in that situation, you're not a mistake. Cause ultimately it matters what God thinks of you. And God does not give his image to just anybody or just anything. He mm-hmm. creates intentionally. And Colossians 1 says that you are for Christ. You've been made for Christ. Christ is the purpose of history, the centerpiece of history. The ultimate giver of life is through Christ. And that's who you're for. Yeah. You're not a mistake. Psalm 139. Listener, if you're if you're out there. Meditate on Psalm 139 this week. Uh, this is a well-known psalm, um, and we won't get into all of it. The, the The well-known verse out of this chapter is is verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately, oh, can't speak, Woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And that's a psalm of David. And people are like, you know, David wrote this. David has a very intimate relationship with God. But if you go to the header, it says, for the choir master. The psalms were songs written for the nation of Israel to sing. So all of the, the the nation of Israel, and for now as an extension, us as well, are to sing these as these words are ours and apply to us and, and meaningful to us as they are. So we can say, God, you formed my inward parts. You knew me. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, every one of my days was written. Before I was even born, you knew me. You knew who I was. I had purpose. But that's that's like the well-known part of that chapter. But also go back and start at verse one and meditate on the beginning. Because it says, you, you know me and you search me even before a word on my tongue. Behold, Lord, you knew it all together. And then verse seven, he starts talking about the sovereignty of God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. He says, God, you're everywhere. You're in control of everything. If my parents weren't intending to have a baby, and they did, and in their view, it's a mistake. In your eyes, it's not a mistake. In your view, you are everywhere. You're in control. You're completely sovereign. And you say that you have knit me in my mother's womb. You've seen every day of my life. You've set the boundaries on the, where I would live, the timing I would live, the place I would live, who my parents are. It's in God's control. So no, you're not a mistake. Now, can people bring in their sinful nature and influence and say things like that, or even our own sinful thoughts 
invade and think, maybe I am a mistake. Maybe it would be better if I had never been born. That's very dangerous thinking because God tells us the opposite. He says, you are loved and you're known. You're personal. I've made you intentionally. I'm the creator of the universe. I have control over everything, and I know everything there is about about you. You're not a mistake at all. Chad, you have thoughts on that? Amen. Yeah, Mark just said, um, as a follower of Christ, you're made for Christ. And Ephesians 2, to go back to that and piggyback off of Mark also saying that God is sovereign. He doesn't say whoops. He doesn't say willy-nilly. He doesn't Mm. make mistakes. He does not. What he says about um, his workmanship uh, is that he's made you with a purpose, so therefore you're definitely not a mistake. Uh, It says in Ephesians 2.10, which I used for a QA and a series with students where uh, another student asked a similar question, you know, what's my purpose? Kind of another way, I'm sure, to say, like, was I a mistake? Do I have really, am I really offering anything here? Do I have value in this world? And we used Ephesians 2.10, say, if we're followers of Christ, we're made for Christ. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So not only are, do, does God know that we're saved for eternity ahead of time, he knows what purpose and mission he has uniquely for us um, during our time on earth and how many days we have on this earth, and that it all is purposeful um, in Christ's name to serve Christ. Yeah, yeah. And this idea of of being a mistake, it's a very modern thing. Mm -hmm. It goes along with all of uh, Planned Parenthood, not the organization, but the whole, that idea, you know, planning your family, having the control over over life, Mm. essentially. Like saying that any of your kids could be a mistake or any of your kids, well, you know, shouldn't have had this one, should have had this one, should have had another one. Uh, life is in God's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can plant the seed, water the soil, but it's God who gives the growth. Yeah. Yeah. How do I know? How do you know you're not a mistake? <clears throat> because you're here. Um, God is the author of life. And God is the author of, of death. It's appointed unto man once to die and comes the judgment. So um, if God didn't have purpose for you, you wouldn't be alive. I think we think that things like miscarriages are um, less common than they are. But statistically, they say about one in five pregnancies. Uh, and, and sometimes that number gets even higher. Uh, and in a miscarriage, so many things have to go so precisely right uh, for a child from uh, conception to to birth to to survive. And then once your child comes out, so many things <laughs> have to go precisely right for your child to survive that first year. You know the reason that we don't have blankets and. Uh, in beds with kids anymore and we sleep them on their back and not there is because of things like SIDS. Um, they estimate uh, up to 50 million abortions a year. It, 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 some estimates as high as 50 million abortions. Like God allowed you to be conceived and then he formed you and knit you in the womb. And then he got you out of that womb and you started taking breath 
and you're here now able to ask and write a question. God has a purpose and a plan. You're created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Um, your life is a gift, and shifting that mindset can be helpful uh, sometimes um, because you you recognize just how fortunate and blessed you are just to have the breath of life. Uh, it can seem like your mistake uh, at times, and I think we've all felt something maybe similar where you would think that it would be better for you not to be around because what is your purpose? What are you supposed to do in life? You don't feel like uh, you've got a lot of friends, perhaps. You don't feel like you've got a lot of skills. You can't see uh, what your future might hold. Um, your life is filled with with turmoil. But remember, like Chad said, it, it's a, trouble is 100% guaranteed. Just because you have trouble in your life doesn't mean that your life is a mistake. In this world, you will have trouble. And this is where Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus says, come to me, those who are, are heavy laden, those who are filled with burden, and I will give you rest. And so if you feel like you're a mistake, know that you're not because you're here and God doesn't make mistakes. If God didn't want you to be here, you, you wouldn't be here. And eventually, God is going to want all of us to not be here and our my day will come and yours will come and it's not because we were a mistake it's just that our time has on earth has come to a close and so what's important is not trying to figure out if you should be here what's important is knowing that you are here for a purpose and we even talked about it a couple of weeks ago within the suffer well series you know with god's will for my life uh you know rejoice always be thankful in all circumstances you know pray without ceasing this is you know for this is the will of, of uh, christ jesus and you like those are just three things so just even focus on those those are universal for all of us to rejoice you know, to, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances and reach out to somebody. Uh, if you feel like you are a mistake, if you're contemplating um, the value of your life, remember, uh, training for godliness, don't isolate. Don't isolate. Reach out. Reach out to, if you're a, a student, well, reach out to anybody. <laughs> but your, your pastors are here. We would love to, to talk to you. We'd love to sit down with you and, and show you... Um, all the ways that you are a masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made. That Psalm 139 is on our chalkboard in our kitchen right now. That's a verse that we have up trying to teach Henry, you know, the uniqueness of what God has done in giving us life. And that's something that we, I think we all take for, for granted. I know I do. And the days are fleeting. We are a mist. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. And so uh, don't spend your time contemplating whether or not you have value uh, you have, you're his masterpiece. You have the most value of anything that he's created and, and believe that and reach out and, and let someone come alongside of you and show you and tell you and encourage you in all the ways that you are a part of God's, God's plan and thank the Lord for the uniqueness of your life because there are, um, a lot of, a lot of people that don't get it. And a lot of people that die very, very young. Um, being in ministry has a lot of, there's a lot of joy because you see a lot of life change, but then you hear a lot of stories and a lot of, a lot of hurt when, you know, even just recently of, um, 
the passing of a little one. And you know, these things are tragic and they're, they're difficult. And so thank the Lord for, for your life. And, and please don't hesitate to reach out and know that you are, you are loved. And any other thoughts? This stuff, no, no, there it is. The diet of our Lord (laughs) is that, is that what we're speaking of? A mistake, what's that? (laughs) That title, (laughs) it is what it is. is. (laughs) Well, it's either that or willy nilly, (laughs) yeah, or I don't know, something about a quiver. Nah, I don't like quiver. (laughs) Nah, (laughs) have you ever shot a bow and arrow? No. Have you? Mm-hmm. How'd you, did you like it? Yeah, we do it in trail life. Oh, do you guys? Yeah. On the property? Uh, yeah, we've done it on the property. <laughs> yeah. Let's in talk my a little office. bit after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, we have insurance. We have the insurance. Right. We should be all right well, yeah. the insurance. Have you ever shot a crossbow? The insurance of mm-hmm. our Lord. I've yeah. shot a compound bow, but not a crossbow. No, I've never shot a compound bow. Just, it's hard. <laughs> It seems I've, hard. I've shot like a suction cup bow. Yeah. Well, those are neat. <laughs> yeah, those, those are, are fun. Yeah. Those are fun. All right. Well, I think that's it. That's a wrap. I think we can wrap it up. Thank you so much for watching and or listening to the atrium. If you have questions, we would love to answer them. You can send your questions uh, by email to podcast at hopechristianchurch.com or you can text your question to 440-HOPE-222. Pastor Mark, Pastor Chad, thank you guys. Head guy. Head, oh, there it is. <laughs> All right. And we dedicate this episode to Larry Spark. Was that his name? <laughs> <laughs> the Spark Ranger. The Spark Roy Ranger. Sullivan. Is he still alive? No, he, he lived 71 years. Did he? Well, okay. That's what, yeah. Still holds the Guinness Record. How did he die? <laughs> Not lightning. Or like something just choking on a sandwich or something. Yeah, yeah. something lame. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>